0: Hey guys, welcome to Dungeon Matters, a Dungeons & Dragons podcast where we talk about everything that matters to Dungeon Masters. I'm your host, Ghoul, and joining me today will be my special guest, Mig. Hello! For this episode, we'll be talking about monsters. Specifically, some of our favorite monsters and how we as Dungeon Masters use them. So let's get to it! Mig! thanks so much for being in the show,
1: yeah, no, thank you for um inviting me here. I'm pretty excited I, like uh when we when you told me about the topic, I was just so psyched i I had a short list of like thirty monsters,
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, same here, like there were so many monsters I want to talk about, but for the uh listeners out there to give them an idea of what we're doing for this episode, you and I both chose three monsters from the fifth edition source books, which will be reviewing in terms of gameplay usage as dungeon masters within our experience, of course. But before we get into monster review, as a dungeon master, what kind of monsters would you say you enjoy running the most in your games?
1: So, like, there are some monsters here that I put that are pretty good in terms of controlling how you can, uh, keep your players alive or, the, like, during combat, but while still making it look dangerous. So, but some of the other creatures I put here are really fun because of, like, the out of combat implication of how they can either antagonize the players in ways that isn't just limited to combat. Uh, I feel like that's the more, that's the most interesting part. Um, with monsters is um, how you can rp them uh, to fit the situation you need to either move the story forward or or to give that um, little oomph in the combat that you may need
0: that's a good point because a lot of people a lot of dungeon masters they sort of choose monsters primarily just for what they do in combat that they don't realize the potential a monster has in other aspects of the game
1: yeah exactly like um i've I, I like, I've found that making your creatures real, like, like making them do stuff more out of combat really helps immerse your players into the world that you're running for them.
0: Right, yeah, that's true. There's just so much more to a monster's stats than how much damage they can deal in a round mm-hmm. or how much damage they can take over the span of a combat. So yeah, with that, let's begin the monster review. And just to uh, start things off, I'll go first. The first monster that I will be reviewing is the Revenant. So the Revenant is a, essentially a vengeful spirit of someone who had died in a cruel or undeserving manner and has come back in physical form as an undead creature that's hell-bent on like, taking its revenge on the, ape, or the person or persons who killed it. One of the things I like most about the Revenant is that besides being a very interesting and capable creature in combat, it also serves as an excellent and very versatile narrative tool. So because a revenant is essentially a vengeful spirit of someone who had died in a cruel or, un- or undeserving manner, how it died is so important to why it's functioning uh, mm-hmm. It's motivation, essentially. And that in itself can be a really big part in, say, a campaign. You can even base an entire campaign on that, or at least the start of a campaign. Mm-hmm. You can bring back an NPC that your players might have killed unjustly. You could bring it back as a Revenant, and like that could serve as like a completely different arc for the player characters. The Revenant could also just be a part of one of your players' backstories. And the Revenant... Can also be an excellent recurring villain, or actually just even a recurring character in a campaign because of its rejuvenation ability, which allows it to come back again within 24 hours after being destroyed. The Revenant can then even inhabit a different body. So maybe initially it comes in its original body, in like, say, a human form, and then after it dies, it inhabits the body of, say, an orc and it decides to lead this group of uh, orcs against the group. And then if they defeat that, it comes back into a different form, maybe as like some former wizard or something. And the difficulty can just increase, and you can use it like over the entire span of a campaign.
1: That's, that's actually really cool. So like, reverence, can can they can they also talk? Like, I haven't actually faced a reverend yet in the game, so...
0: The revenant can speak. Unlike most undead, this one is intelligent and is able to uh, communicate with others. In fact, part of its description is that it seeks worthy allies to help fulfill its request. So it doesn't even necessarily have to be a villain. Or it can start off as a villain and, uh, depending on who it's going against, can even enlist the assistance of the players.
1: Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah.
0: It's also one of the few undead creatures that's not inherently evil. Uh, As part of the description, like it's a creature, right, that was killed in a cruel or unjust manner. When when Mm -hmm. you think about that, that means the creature is more often than not not evil, and that makes it even more interesting because it's just as likely that it'll try to eliminate other villains or bad guys.
1: Yeah! Wow! That's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. Like I'm surprised I haven't come across it. It's such a versatile creature, like, it can be used literally anywhere.
0: Yeah, and you can just customize this creature, like, in so many different ways. Like, in the Monster Manual, it says you can even give them spells if, you know, their previous self was a spellcaster. And, of course, you can always just give them different equipment, different armor, different weapons, to differentiate each revenant or make them more uh, distinct.
1: Yeah, my God. That's, I think I'm going to probably use this <laughs> as well. Yeah,
0: and it's also also good against murder hobo groups because, I mean, if you kill it, it'll just keep coming back anyway.
1: Yeah, I, I could also picture murder hobo groups having to deal with, like, multiple revenants because they just, like, <laughs> kill, and then that was unjust, so here you go with another one.
0: <laughs> <laughs> that That's so true. That's, like, the perfect anti-murder hobo creature. So that's uh, pretty much the revenant. How about we uh, move on to your first pick, Mig?
1: Okay, so my first pick is Mud Method. Ooh. So one thing about methods that I find interesting, like this is more of a lore sort of thing, is that there are six variants of the methods, and they're all mix. They're all mixtures from the various elemental planes. So they're elementals, but uh, but like Mud Methods in particular are from the plane of Earth and the plane of Water. Um, right. They have three particular abilities that I love to throw to new players. Uh, the first one is their false appearance. So uh, false appearance, for those who aren't aware, are like, look, creatures who have this tend to be able to be undetectable regardless of um, any ability or skill the players have as long as they are not moving. Um, for the mud method, if they're in mud, they can they can lie there still and be passed through without being noticed by players. Um, the other two abilities that I like love from the Mud Method are their Mud Breath and their Death Burst. For the Mud Breath, the the method opens up its mouth and spews mud on adventurers. Um, and then when the when you kill the method, it kind of explodes, throwing mud all over adventurers. Uh, when this happens, they are given the adventurers are given a DC um, check, and upon a failure, they are restrained. Uh, either for like one round if it's the death burst or one minute for the mud breath. M- amongst the creatures I picked, and the reason why I'm talking about him first is because, um, I, I love how you can use them to control a, a combat scenario for very low level adventurers. So if the play like, I've found that if the players are very skilled, um, in combat and they're rolling like well, I can I can up the the difficulty for the mud methods. It's like some methods have the ability to summon one to four methods into combat at least once per day. Right. So if the players are doing well, I can um put that ability there, add the amount of methods so that I don't overput methods in case the players may not be able to handle it. Now, if the if the players are kind of new or the roles aren't really on their side The methods may be, um, spewing their, uh, mud more than attacking. So, um, I like that control. If my players aren't rolling well or if they don't seem to be as skilled, I can just do this scary thing that, um, tends to, um, bring fear, makes things seem a little bit harder for them, but also, like, kind of keeps them alive without me having to, like, like, without them having to depend on the creature missing um instead they're just restrained um yeah uh, that's the mud method uh
0: what is it about the mud method in particular that made you pick that one over the others
1: like honestly it's the rp of like having mud on your on your pristine
0: armor (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: yeah and in games i've used this with um in terms of the rp right i I like to rp my monsters. so when i've thrown this at players in games um i love throwing them on players who who like to describe their, their armor and weapons as pristine and, and shiny. And <laughs> because like, like, like then my description of this monster is it flies to you, opens its mouth wide and spews mud at you. And you know, like the dexterity save to kind of get out of the way. It, it's definitely an RP moment that they can have where it's like, if they roll high enough, like you can, they can RP like loving their armor and like not wanting this pristine armor to, um, to be messed up, <laughs> right? So you know they really like RP, like describe their dodge really well, or like, or like, um, if they fail, they 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 can describe they describe this kind of anger that they have for this creature. And oh my god, like I've had like even experienced player like use their spell slots in a combat <laughs> with these like simple creatures just because they're like grossed out about like having mud under on their, under on their, on their person so that's um that's what i love about mud method in particular is the that that description of mud and like having to jump out of it um <laughs> yeah
0: right yeah that's that's cool and i i love monsters that can be used for low level uh, encounters and for low level players because the thing with low level encounters is that it's always a challenge making it more than just the combat and this really fits in with the uh, as a dungeon master, just being able to engage in the uh, the players in more than just like a damage uh, race, it kind of has like an an effect on the player on the characters themselves and like how they're reacting to the in game world.
1: So yeah, that's everything I know about Mon Uh What what uh, what about you? What's your next creature?
0: For my second pick, I chose the spectator, which is
1: mm-hmm.
0: it's. It's essentially a beholder light. Uh, spectators are lesser beholder kin that are summoned through magic rituals and usually tasked to watch over places or treasure by their uh, summoners. Unlike other beholders that have way more eyes, a spectator only has five eyes, uh, one main one and four appendages, if you will. Each of these can do one of the eye rays, which is a confusion eye ray, a Paralysis ire, a fear-inducing ire, and a wounding ire. As a reaction, the spectator can also reflect spells that fail to hit it or that it successfully saves against, which makes it kind of fun. And uh, well, the reason why I chose this uh, creature in particular is that it allows you, as a dungeon master, to give your players the beholder experience at lower levels, which. <laughs> I mean, with Beholders being, like, such a classic monster in Dungeons & Dragons, it is, however, like, it's like a challenge rating 10. So, you can't really use it against your players until they get to that point later in the game, which Mm -hmm. is a shame. With a spectator, you can sort of give them a taste of that. Like, oh, here, I've got this creature that is just as insane, just as unpredictable, (laughs) egotistical. And possesses some eye rays, so that's always fun to use in combat. But unlike beholders, spectators are actually pretty um, dutiful. Like, it says here, like in their stat block, that they are lawful neutral. So they actually have a set of codes, as crazy as it is, that they do follow. And... Mm -hmm it usually chooses to stay wherever it's guarding and it just becomes even more crazy and it starts to uh, mimic its summoner or it tries to uh, behave in a manner that was similar to its summoner. So I always find that pretty fun, especially if it was summoned by like some crazy wizard or yeah, like by some cult or something. And uh, spectators are great sources of information because again, as per their description, they just apparently love to talk about themselves and like the stuff that they were supposed to protect and guard. So, if you encounter one, or if your players encounter one in the dungeon, they can be like, "Oh yeah, I've I've been tasked to guard this uh this wand of Orcus. <laughs> like it's it's a pretty important magic item. I don't know if you've heard. It's capable of doing this and this."
1: I know. I love that. Like I I can picture him like like being like I, I'm protecting this wand of Orcus. And you guys can't get it because I'll kill you. <laughs> yeah, you <know? laughs> so casual, but yeah.
0: <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's that's about it for the spectator. Uh, what about you, Mig? What's your uh, what's your second pick?
1: So my second pick, I, I like to feel like it's a classic creature. It's an ooze. Um, uh, it's called the black pudding. Nice. I, yeah, I chose I chose the black pudding because it has three, uh, two out of three properties that I that I love on, on oozes. Um, whenever you have uh, an ooze that has either split or corrosive form, that build that puts an encounter for your adventure that like they're definitely not gonna forget. Um, for those unaware of what these are, corrosive form is actually a part of the ooze that um, when attacked by like a non magical weapon. The weapon will um, degrade slightly. There's also like acid damage that comes into effect from like from this ooze. But the focus of the reason why I like corrosive form is that um, when you when you attack this ooze with a weapon, um, the weapon loses it like gets a minus one penalty to the attack roll and damage. And after five of those, the weapon is no longer usable. So basically, attacking this creature. Corrodes your weapon, and also when a creature attacks you, it can corrode your armor. Another fun thing with the black ooze that I said was the ability to split. If the black pudding is attacked by a weapon that does slashing damage, you may use its reaction to split it into two. But yeah, so but yeah, it's a very simple creature, but it's very like it's very nice in that like you can um definitely. Uh, have a lot of situations where players will have to think very tactically. I was thinking, the, like, one of my favorite, like, best ways to deal with oozes is if the players are the type to save people, having an NPC there would definitely um, make them have to decide uh, whether it's their armor or weapons that they want to save or, like, if this person's life that's in danger, that he'll probably die because he's surrounded by oozes and he doesn't know what to do, you know? Um, that put, would push the players to kind of fight that monster, despite the idea that they may have their weapons lost. Right. One of my favorite ones was seeing like the, one of my like players who had just bought this newly like this new plate uh, splint armor and just running away. <laughs> this brave character, usually brave, <laughs> choosing um I think I'm gonna step over there because my armor was really <laughs> expensive. <laughs> just choosing to run away from <laughs> it, or you know, and and you see players do different things. I've seen players um, look for like stuff to use as um, as um, improvised weapons, just to maintain the quality of their weapon, or or even like I've, I I knew I I know a guy who's like I'll just use that on my like my 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 spear since I've already used it you know might as well go it out. But like I like that this th- this creature can do that because it forces players to kind of think of. Um, like, what can we do instead to kind of um, deal with this creature?
0: Yeah, yeah. I completely agree with all your sentiments about the black pudding. And the black pudding as a creature is something also very near and dear to my heart for the reason <laughs> you've already specified. Like, it is essentially the perfect ooze. And I love oozes.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Don't get started. Yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like, the ability to split and corrosive form is just such a good combo (laughs) and the fact that it has so much so many like damage immunities and Mm -hmm. like addition immunities and it's got a decent amount of hit points it's such a good creature to uh give your players that sort of impending doom kind of feeling like what you mentioned, if you have some way to ensure that they're gonna be sticking around, then the black pudding is a very formidable enemy.
1: Yeah, I, I, I just love encounters with this. It's it's fun to watch and it's like and like with a crea- with creative players, it's fun seeing what solutions they come up with to deal with this weapon armor destroying, like
0: <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, he, like they yeah, creature yeah
0: <laughs> i actually used the black pudding in a one shot with uh, one of our mutual friends uh at some point last year mm-hmm. but uh i've uh decided not to go into that because i might run it for you guys again
1: <laughs> okay okay yeah. i'm excited to see that that sounds like fun
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> Ooh, uh... black pudding the best on the matter of oozes, the last creature I've chosen is the Dungeons & Dragons classic, the gelatinous cube. Mm. So the gelatinous cube, uh, to anyone who doesn't already know what a gelatinous cube is, it's essentially a transparent ooze in the shape of a cube that engulfs and slowly consumes anything that enters its body. Yes, yeah, stat-wise, like most other oozes, the gelatinous cube has terrible mental attributes because it's an ooze and also pretty low dexterity because it's an ooze but uh it's got high constitution and above average strength but oddly enough, unlike many other oozes, it actually doesn't have any damage resistances or immunities even to acid which I do find a bit odd but I, I guess it does share this trait with the oblex and mm-hmm. also jublex which is weird but that's a whole nother topic. Like <laughs> I, I really want to complain about Jubilex at some point. Uh but yeah, anyway, so it's got like a typical pseudopod uh attack action. But what really sets this creature apart and what makes it so memorable is is its ability to engulf creatures. And as an action, it moves up to its speed, and any creatures in its path is essentially uh threatened to be enveloped, and they have to make a deck save to get out of its way. But if uh, they choose to, or if they can only move further backwards, then they'll, they'll be subjected to the save again. As uh I'm sure you're aware, since you've uh, run the yeah. gelatinous cube relatively recently for us. <laughs> and uh, I remember when we were talking about this, something that a lot of dungeon masters tend to forget Especially with the engulf ability, is that gelatinous cubes can move fifteen feet, which is pretty yeah. slow. But yeah. when it makes the engulf action, it can move another fifteen feet, which a lot of DMs and players forget. So yeah, yeah, that's a that's a great kind of uh, thing to add on there, so that it can really catch people off guard. Yeah. Even though the gelatinous cube only has like a challenge rating of two in the monster manual, it can deal a lot of damage like just being engulfed by the cube already deals like 3d6 si- 3d6 acid damage on a failed save mm-hmm. and then that makes them restrain and <laughs> unable to breathe and yeah. every succeeding turn that's another 6d6 of damage that's so painful
1: <laughs> yeah no like if there's a creature that brings fear to cre- to pl- to players gelatinous <laughs> cube oh my god in in that game i ran for you guys i just like I I had ran ran that maybe a few other times, but I re- I remember when I realized that in golf was the, like you move your speed again, like ever since I had that, like it made the thing the the cube so much more like scarier for the players because they were yeah. like, why is it matching <laughs> with us and then you know, it just like just goes towards them and it just it's just so fun to do that like.
0: <laughs> yep, it definitely is. Like from yeah. as a DM running it. It's yeah. just so fun, and I don't know why, but for me, like whenever I play a gelatinous cube, it's just so refreshing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, like well, the reason why I chose to uh, include this in the monster review is that the gelatinous cube pretty much demands that you, as a dungeon master, design an entire encounter around it. Like mm. to make the encounter fun, you don't just you don't just add a gelatinous cube arbitrarily. Like, yeah. you plan for it to be there specifically, and yeah. you, uh, like, arrange the map or whatever setting yeah. it is to accommodate it. Like, of course, you, you got to have the 10 by 10 uh, yeah. corridors. <laughs> and, oh, yeah. uh, of course, having a few traps here and there, pretty pretty good, too. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, of course, the weakness of the gelatinous cube and many oozes, um, those pesky sharpshooter builds. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you allow them uh, the mobility and like the space to move, of course. yeah, but in terms of other uses or different uh, kinds of applications for a gelatinous cube, I like to use them sometimes as living, like, storage containers for treasure because gelatinous cubes are known also for retaining whatever objects that uh, once belonged to the creatures that they had consumed. It's very common to find like magical items and other treasure inside them. So just setting up an encounter where the ooze doesn't even need to go to the players, but the players have to go into the ooze. Like, oh, I just love like yeah, that that's fun.
1: <laughs> that, that's amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, the gelatinous cube is pretty much one one big mobile dungeon trap. <laughs> I,
1: like I I could also picture using a gelatinous cube to keep your players from leaving the dungeon, or like even oh, yeah. holding still because like you know like they walk by and then all of a sudden like they step on a panel and they hear like some door from above open and this thing falls down and <laughs> yeah. now they just have to run through the corridor. Yep. Yep. And that's, and that's where the traps are. <laughs> so they, they have to look for them with disadvantage. Oh, my God. It's gonna, exactly. it, I could picture a really fun encounter like that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Gelatin skew So good.
1: Yeah. <laughs> all
0: right, well, I mean, that's uh, pretty much all I got to say about it. But an oldie, but a goodie. Oh, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, why, why don't you uh, tell us what your final choice is?
1: Okay, so my final choice, actually one of my favorite monsters, um and it's all it's also an oldie but very goodie, um, the <laughs> intellect devourer.
0: Uh, hey.
1: So what the things that make me like like what made me love this creature are its ability to detect sentience, uh to devour intellect, and the body theft feature.
0: So mm-hmm,
1: yes. Yeah. I personally picked this monster because there's so much versatility, and I liked how there was one that was showcased in a hardcover. By the way, spoilers for anyone who hasn't played um, Waterdeep: Dragon Heist, at least the first chapter, and so on. There is a major, there's a major NPC that actually um, is taken over by an intellect devourer, and when I ran that game, um, he was quite friendly with the characters. He was. A representative of one of the factions so he would often like also kind of check in with the characters but he would he was also working for uh one of the book villains and <laughs> you know <laughs> like while the characters really trusted this guy he just seemed like a fun joking you know very light very like like heroic character and he had a reputation because he had been that character but was taken over which is what I love about it, is um if you put this in another campaign, you can either have it be the patron of the adventure had has always had the intellect devourer, or it could have happened by chance somewhere along the way, causing the players to now like, have had built this, um, this relationship through trust with this character, but then suddenly like, like, they still trust that character and he has proven himself, but now he's still acting the same, but he has different intentions since he's been taken over. And I love that, that idea that um, now this character could be a story-driven thing. Um, I was thinking of like a fun encounter for this would be finding out that like, someone you've trusted is an intellect devourer. But like, you could also throw it in a different way. like Maybe the adventurers come to a town because they hear it's being taken over by zombies and they see like an NPC being attacked by zombies. Um, it can go down some separate ways. Like, um, if a, like, you know, like, in an Intellect Devourer could jump out if ever, like, you cast a Protection from Good and Evil spell on someone. So I can picture them trying to save this kid, cast Protection from Good and Evil, and all of a sudden the kid dies because the Intellect Devourer <laughs> yeah. jumps out. And, they, and it doesn't do anything for the players because it just builds questions. They're like, this, this sound was being attacked by zombies. They were trying to save a kid being attacked so, like, who's the enemy? What are we going by here? Or, or you know, like, the kid could also be killed by the, by the zombies until, like, the bower comes out. And, you know, like, it can fit anywhere where you want to, like, just see what the players want to do. Like, will they pursue, like, what's causing the zombies to come out? Will they pursue this, like, what's the, like, Devourer the doing here? They're, they're, it, it can push and drive a narrative so many ways. And it can also be used to right, like, really turn things around. Like, um, it can add flavor to maybe an NPC that they found, what like they never really attached to, but it's always there. You can always like it could that NPC could have all of a sudden been taken over by intellect like, devourer, and all of a sudden they'll remember the NPC, and they might even like have feelings that they may have not had when you first would ex- um, introduce that NPC. You know, it's a good way to. I, I feel like any situation where where your a brain pops out of something that you were fighting <laughs> or you trusted will make it memorable. Like that's why I love the potential and the abilities of this creature. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. No, I I also really love the intellect devourer. And um I've actually used it in a very similar way to what you've described, uh mm-hmm. in a in a one-shot just uh, last year, but as much as I want to discuss it, maybe I won't, so I'll run it for you guys as well. <laughs> uh,
1: Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah.
0: so many different one shots to run for you guys. But uh, <laughs> anyway, the intellective hour is just like what I mentioned about the Revenant. It's just one of those creatures that can be used to really greatly affect the narrative or like the story in an adventure or a campaign that you're running in Mm -hmm. such a huge way, and in so many different ways as well. And the possibilities are nearly endless when it comes to uh, using an Intellect Devourer in your campaigns.
1: Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's, uh, I I just love this creature.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's it's like an exercise for creativity and like okay, how can I incorporate this creature that can pretty much be any yeah. anyone into yeah. like the story? Like after I ran the uh, one-shot for the for that group of players, after that they were so paranoid with every single NPC I ran, even like in a different one-shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they, like they were just so paranoid after that that it was so, it was so difficult to deal with them because like every single person that they talked to was like, "Guys, but what if it's an intellectual power?" Like, I'm not gonna do the same trick twice. But but I,
1: I don't know if they if, if your players do that I just would lean in more into it and just make like all of these like really dodgy characters that yeah. are yeah,
0: like, for sure possessed. <laughs> Uh, <laughs>
1: but yeah, like that, that and plus their abilities to detect sentience, like I just want to say like being able to tell if there's an intelligent creature, any creature that has intelligence of three or higher within 300 feet, you know it's there. These creatures are aware of what's going on and that's, that just adds to the complexity of like what you can do or what you can, like let, lets you know what how to run around like maybe players, what players are doing, you know, in a, in a particular campaign.
0: Yeah. And also, I mean, uh the f- like an intellect devourer is a pretty threatening creature. Like oh, yeah. it can literally kill your character by yeah. reducing their intelligence to zero, like killing them outright, like no yeah. death saves or anything and then taking over their body. So that is a scary thought for Yeah. such a for a creature that is uh, like essentially a Challenge rating two, was it? Like, if you use these against yeah. low-level players, <laughs> it can very well lead to a permanent death in the party.
1: Yeah, no, yeah. Even the the power intellect can even hit up to like like higher-level players if if they're just unlucky. Like, oh yeah, yeah. How many players build intelligence above ten? That, that's yeah. the average role here. Like,
0: <laughs> intelligence is so commonly dumped as well. Yeah. It's like. <laughs>
1: this guy is not a joke like anytime you see him gotta kill him as soon as he can
0: that's right and he's got like damage resistance to non-magical weaponry so that that makes it even better (laughs) yeah well yeah that's my last creature (laughs) All right. thanks again Mig for joining me for the uh, monster review it's so fun like like there's
1: just so much to talk about like I could probably go on and on about this but like yeah
0: right Well, that's it for this episode of Dungeon Matters. What did you think about the monsters we reviewed today? Do you guys have any similar experiences or ideas on how to run the ones that we just talked about? Also, which monsters do you think we should review next time? Let us know by emailing us at dungeonmatterspodcast at gmail.com. Thanks again, guys, and see you next time.